Welcome to Keep It 100 Podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Join us in this space where we take on real issues with real insight and a real inspiration. This podcast is for those not looking for temporary relief to change circumstance, but revelation to forever change lives. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Keep It 100 with Sean and Krista Smith. It's your boy, Sean. <laughs> it's my favorite boy. Hey, we're so excited for this week's episode. We're going to have a great conversation. I'm really kind of excited to dive into it. A couple quick things because so many of you have been asking and reaching out to our ministry. We're really excited to announce the Momentum Sessions are available for purchase on SeanandKristaSmith.com. And so we've had already lots of people download it and already getting just so blessed by just even the replay of it. Sean and I, we're going to be watching the replays because you know it's just it was so meaty you just gotta you gotta hit it one or two times you know uh post momentum to be able to just soak in all that god did so if you have not had a chance to watch the momentum sessions we encourage you grab them on shawnachrismith.com and download them today you will be blessed and we had merch i don't know if you know this uh we didn't really publicize it because it was more like an in-conference in-gathering thing that we did but we actually had some really cool merch i made a sweatshirt it's a set had a tiger on it uh, with a lightning bolt. And on the top of the tiger, it said, woman of God. And on the bottom, it said, hear me roar. And I loved it. I wanted to preach in it. That's the whole reason I had it made. And then I decided to sell them and they sold out to my shock in the first night. So I have a bunch more that are being made presently. Uh, they were actually, they've, they've been made. They're for sale. Sometime this week, we're going to get them up on our website. So we'll be pubbing that on social media. So keep your eyes out. If you want a woman of God, hear me roar sweatshirt. And then also a really cool jacket. We made some rain jackets, those sold out. We have a bunch of pastors that were like, we want our staff to have these for our church. Because on the back, it says created for a movement, not just a moment. And it's kind of cool. So those sold out. We're super excited to get those back out because we just believe in the power of declaration when you're wearing something. So again, those are going to be available on social media. Check out Sean and Sean and Krista's, uh, both of our social media's uh, platform, and you'll be able to find out where to get those. All right. So I got a question for you, baby. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Sean and I were looking at some current events. And I wanted to bring something to the table because I thought it was like a really fun conversation. But there's a person recently, this has to do with the lottery, right? The classic conversation of the lottery, what would you do? But there's a person in the Washington state that won recently the Powerball jackpot prize. Get this, $754.6 million. That's crazy. Dollars, one person, a single single receiver. Most of the time, jackpots, they're split between many people. Right. This is a Every- sole winner. A bunch of people in the same office all by. You got it. And we're going to split it up. Yep. You got it. Yep. This is one person, the fifth largest Powerball jackpot and the ninth largest in U.S. lottery jackpot history. Okay. So if the win, this is what they're saying. If the winner chooses to receive their winnings in a lump sum payment, they'll receive a total of, get it, four $407 million. So my question is to you, you have a dream one night. God gives you numbers. You know they're for the lottery. So it's sanctified. It's of God. It's not immoral. It's not unethical. Come on. Let's just, let's like, let's just put the God factor in this. And you wake up and you're like, I have the lottery ticket numbers. Like I know it. You go, you play. And in fact, you win. Sean Smith, I've got to ask you this question. What would you do with $407 million if you were the sole winner of Powerball? All right. For the record, just for everybody (laughs) listening, I don't gamble. I kind of have some strong convictions on it, but my wife did make a great point. If God tells you the winning numbers, then it's not gambling. Right? That's right. You're it's being obedience. obedient. It's like, 
Jesus told the disciples where to cast those hooks and get their tax money hey. in those fish's mouths. Come on. So if he tells you, hey, I'm just going to claim that the Lord laid up for me the wealth of the wicked, turn it over to the righteous. All right, 407 million. You know, I think it's enough to do a couple things. One, uh, anyone that knows me knows I've got a big heart for urban inner city. I would love to launch because uh, I'd want to do it right. First, maybe in, in about three different cities, uh, just things that could help inner city uh, disenfranchise, disadvantage youth, you know, maybe in situations where maybe uh, single parent moms or something, but help the kids in the area of some school scholastics and stuff like that, but tie it in the local churches so they can not that. only just get, you know, some education, some things that could help them uh, excel at school, but ultimately uh, excel in life. Get tied to a church where they can get mentors. They could be led to Jesus. The gospel could be shared. And then I would throw along with that, you know, some ideas of uh, renting some uh, facilities near some needy areas and putting on kind of like Reinhard Bonnke or Billy Graham, where the gospel shared, relevant music, opportunity for people to come to know Jesus, pray for the sick, bring in just some awesome. So I would just love to do inner city outreach. You know, we we do a lot of missions uh, in terms of uh, we as a ministry, but just this nation that, that are overseas. But I would love just to see our inner cities hit as a mission field and to target Gen Z. So I would kind of look at it like this. So maybe what would you do? That might be a I great love question. that. Well, I'm hearing your vision and I love it. And I'm coming alive here and I'm like, you know what? We just need to do that hey. with, without 407 million. <laughs> right? we, we just need to do that because God will pay the bill for that. I mean, that has that's God's heart all over it. I just love that. That's a great baby. Yeah. You know, for me, um, you know, you know this about me because you're married to me. I really have a passion for especially older saints that have just given their life for the gospel and given it to ministry. There's so many people like boomers and even older than boomers, just people that are retired in ministry that have no retirement and they don't own their home and they are not set up financially for the future because they've given everything for the church, for the kingdom of God, and they've just given everything that they've had financially. Mm. And they've just lived really sacrificially. And I would love just to pay their mortgage and give them retirement. That's like awesome. I just, I really have a passion for people to be taken care of long-term. And I just think there's a lot of amazing saints that just didn't set up retirement long-term. So I would love to like create some sort of foundation that can help like missionaries and retired pastors that are really struggling financially and actually giving them financial support on a monthly basis. That's actually like some sort of foundation where, you know, just kind of helping people that have given their life and these amazing ministers of the gospel that have just been forerunners in so many places and broken open things for the Lord and to help take care of them. I mean, I, I just, love that. I just think it's important. I feel a responsibility. I don't, I don't know how I can help in there that way, but somehow, some way in my life, I, I want to do something to help the older generation and help them in retirement. That that's something I'm passionate about. Um, but the other thing I'm passionate about, and you know this, I had this vision a few years ago where I had an encounter with God and he showed me in inner city Oakland, specifically here in the Bay and in the downtown center. And I saw a very specific building and had on the front of it, Hope City. And I had this instant download of bringing all these nonprofits together that already currently exist. It wasn't necessarily creating new nonprofits, but there's already so many amazing nonprofits that already exist. Some are faith-based, um, some aren't, but I'd love to gather specifically all the faith-based ones, give them a beautiful location, phenomenal offices, because there's a lot of Christian faith-based nonprofits that their resources and their facilities aren't great because the Bay Area is so expensive. So if you had the resources to really have like give a home in one location to all these nonprofit faith-based organizations and it becomes a place of hope. And then I I love the whole aftercare, after 
school care concept because there's so many single parents in inner city and, and at risk low income areas because the parents are typically single parent and they're working their tail off to cover the bills and just the practical needs of life. And to be able to give a safe faith-based Christ-centered outlet after school for these kids where they're staying off drugs, they're not getting recruited to gangs, they're staying out of violence, yes. they're not home looking at online porn and watching things they shouldn't be watching, right? It's like we're giving them a place to be discipled. And whether that's like a sports after school program or a tutoring program, but this is like a tech area. So I would love to have like a tech. My brother-in-law actually did this in Ireland and it blew up. Like it just was incredible, like the outreach, but it was like a tech dojo. Like they came and they learned programming and you know, whatnot. And I was like, how well would that be here in the Bay? I just thought it was a genius idea he had. And then I think there's such a sound of creativity and worship here in the Bay just hasn't been sanctified, but I would love to have like a recording studio with all these like wannabe up and coming. And I call them wannabe and I don't mean that in a derogatory sense, but just all these young kids that feel like they got something to say. They They got dreams and they got something to say. And I think give them a place to say it and give them a place like a studio to like create and like do all the things that are in their heart and like spoken word and like, I don't know, just a creative space. And like, what about the fashion designers? Like, you know what I mean? Like these creative spaces for these kids where they learn like not only life skills, but they find their voice. They encounter Jesus in it because it's like a Christian, you know, faith-based organization that does it. So I, I, I felt like I saw something like that in the spirit. I think at some point we'll do something like that. And if God wants to give us $407 million from whatever avenue, do it, Jesus. But I would love to have one location. It's called Hope City. And it's like, it supports the family yeah. and it gives the kids a voice, but it gives them an identity in Christ. Like it's where they discover Jesus. You know, I think the underlying principle in it all is that many times provision follows vision. And so even, you know, some of our listeners right now, you know, you're you're listening and we're just dreaming. What if we won the Powerball? What if you won? And, yeah. and we know that uh, our treasure, where our treasure is, so is our heart. So when you start to think about what you would do if you had that kind of money, is it's really a reflection of the dream and the things that God has put in your heart. And it's, it's, it's so important, I believe, to dream for God. And I think we've lost our ability to dream because when you've gone through survival, like we have the past three years or approaching mm-hmm. the three years since COVID broke out, March 17, 2020, uh, survivalists, when you're in survival mode, you're not dreaming. You're in, you're in survival. Your thoughts are centered upon what does it take to get through the next day. But I believe now God is even calling us all to begin to dream again. And so I think, you know, just even us talking about what we would do if we had $407 million, is this true of what you should do at this point in time? Begin to dream again. Just yeah. begin to get along with God. Get you a journal out and just start writing down, God, what is your dream? I mean, we always tell God our dream, but I believe there's something higher to dreaming. And that's it. Asking God, what is it you writ upon my heart? What's on your heart? What is your dream that you want? Because I feel like when the Bible says in Ephesians 2.10 that we're the workmanship of God uh, created beforehand for good works that we may walk in, the word there, workmanship, is the word poema, that we're God's poems. So God, in a sense, we're God's dream to fulfill his purpose in the earth. So I think that's just so important. And I, I love that, baby. And I think it is so important to dream because I think we're I think there's an invitation to dream in the season like never before because you said it so well. And I just want to like, I just want to come alongside that. I think it's just that reminder of we're not in survival because when you're in survival mode, you don't dream. So when you start dreaming, it means you've come out of that last season, right? And I think that that is so key for just that measured momentum that we're in right now of we're moving forward into this next. But I'm also reminded of we actually have the lottery. His name's Jesus and <laughs> way better than the right, lottery. Right. We have access to like kingdom wealth and finances. Not so we have these luxurious lifestyles because you notice Sean and I weren't like, you know, what I love, I didn't even realize this. Everything about what we wanted to spend it on was like how we can help people. And I think 
Yeah. That's God's heart, right? God is always going to fund things that help people and especially helps those that ha- can't help themselves, right? The poor, the orphan, the widow is like, that's always on Jesus's heart. That's all. He's always going to pay the bill on that. And I think when you have kingdom projects that are bringing forth the gospel, it's like, don't wait for the lottery ticket to be won, right? Yeah. Actually step out of faith when you feel like it's God's timing and God's promise and actually see God work the miracle financially. Because Sean and I have certainly seen that in our own lives. Uh, God just pay things supernaturally. And we've just watched God in moments come through like financially in ways that we're like, God, we just stepped out and then the provision came, but we had to step out first. And I just encourage, I feel like there's some listeners today, you start dreaming and it's like, just step out and God will pay the bill, you know? Cause it's like, when you're in that, that kingdom mandate space, it's like, God, God, God has you covered. That whole subject is really fascinating. That's really good. Yeah. Well, this topic of our episode for this podcast is when filters aren't your friends. So we were just kind of thinking about certain filters. And obviously when you think about a filter, what it, what do we mean by a filter? Filter is a lens that we look through. Filter can be our worldview. Filter could be the angle that we have, our past experience. I believe a great example of this is in the Bible in Matthew when Jesus was talking about, hey, uh, you're not in a right place to judge someone else if this is the case. And here's how Jesus described it. He says, why are you trying to get the speck out of your brother's eye when you have a plank in your own? And so it's kind of like God is saying, you got to deal with the Duraflame log in your eye <laughs> before you start dealing with the little sawdust piece. But what is what is the plank in your eye? I think the plank in your eye is a filter. So God is saying, until you deal with the errors that you look at your own life, you're not going to be able to see other people's lives very accurately. You know, that's that's so good. This is a great conversation because I think when we think about filters as a Christian, we always think of them, for me, in a really positive way. I think of like the filter on my mouth that is very needed, the filter on my ears, my eyes, right? It's like, it's protective. It's guarding me. It's good. But then there's filters because we're looking at it from the concept and the perception of the filters, not just, you know, like protecting you. There can be filters and lens and things that we look through that actually hinder us. And I think that's the conversation today. Is there things that you're looking through that are actually causing an obstacle in your vantage point, in your viewpoint, and in the way that you live and the way that you love and the way that you see things in your perspective. And I think there's the conversation. So the filters we use and the question would be that I kind of want to throw your way, you know, is uh, are there filters that we use to hide behind and excuse ourselves by? Like, let's start there because I think there's the conversation that helps people kind of get their head around kind of where we're going today. Yes. And that's when filters are not your friend. Yeah. Is when you're using it to hide behind. I think obviously the great metaphor and picture of that is when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, they got fig leaves. They hid behind the fig leaves. Those fig leaves were filters because before they fell, there was no need to hide from God. So filters sometimes become things that we hide behind. And I think one of the things that we use is the mindset, if it's popular, it must be okay. If the masses are doing it, then it must be all right. And it's based on a false filter. And the false filter is that God is going to grade us on the curve. Like I was graded on the curve in college and I was grateful that I was. But 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, basically, we can't compare ourselves by ourselves. God is not going to grade on the curve. He's got a standard. And so what happens is people get led astray by the false narratives that are disguised as popular ideologies. And because they're popular, we think they're okay. 
But by the time the lies are finally exposed, all of a sudden we begin to feel the laws. And we've got to know our Bibles. We got to be thinkers. We've got to understand we can't hide behind the the popular worldviews and the teachings that are promoted in culture that have even sometimes crept into our church. And so we cannot have the false filter that if it's popular, it must be okay. What are some of your thoughts on some of the filters we hide behind and excuse ourselves? You know, it's a great question. And, you know, just kind of thinking about what you just said, I love that because I agree with everything you said. I think kind of like another angle to look at it too is I think that many of us have learned behaviors, things that we were born into, like the culture we were born into, the family we were born into, the learned behaviors that happen to us in life. Those can become things we hide behind and even excuse our toxic, dysfunctional behavior by because we're like, oh, that's just the way my family is, or that's just, you know, that's the way I grew up. That's like our family culture. My mom was like that. I was like that. My siblings are like that. And we create these excuses by learned behavior when in fact it's a dysfunctional lens. It's a dysfunctional filter that you're living behind. And I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And it says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. All Mm. things, all things. And I just keep thinking about when you and I give Jesus our life, he becomes our Lord and Savior. And in that process of us asking for forgiveness and Jesus becoming our Lord and Savior, there is a redemption. There's a sanctification that happens in our life through the forgiveness of our sins. And I feel like we, in that point, we have a new DNA set into us. And and I feel like that in the spirit, but I feel like that is manifested in the natural. And what I mean by that is we have a heavenly father that can teach us how to be a father for those that were fatherless, you know, that need to be a father. We can have a heavenly father that can teach us how to be a mother if you didn't have a mother. It teaches how to be a wife or a husband, how to be an amazing team member, a sibling, a sister, a brother, an auntie, an uncle, a friend, a a servant of God, a daughter and son of the king, right? And so you learn who you are because of who your new father is, the Lord. And I think sometimes we think that our biological family has a larger impact on us than our heavenly father. So when we really begin to apply and walk in the revelation of 2 Corinthians 5.17, that if anyone is there in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation, old things have passed away. The old man, the old woman, so to speak, because I want to bring us women into this equation, those things have passed away when we ask Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. And we become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And I think that that's what's so key is for us to understand those filters, that learned behavior, those toxic lens that we're looking through. God can actually restore, reframe, redeem our perspective, our point of view that how we live, how we carry ourselves, how we see even things we've been through shift and change because God uses all things for his glory. And we understand that we have a father who's actually written through us a story that's redemption and restoration, but it's with our new identity intact. I think that's really powerful. That's profound. I mean, that's identity stuff. That's deep. I think another point I think that we should talk about in this conversation is that there's filters are not our friends when the filters are used to distort the gospel and tweak the kingdom. And I think anytime we allow a filter to change what the Bible is saying, and I think what happens today is that if people feel different than what the Bible says, then they use their feelings as kind of a get out of jail free card or a way to like not have to obey 
what the Bible is saying. And the, our whole thing now is I think what distorts the gospel is feelings because we're admittedly in a time where the Christian worldview is not the predominant worldview of our nation. Uh, we have to understand that. And the bedrock of truth contained in scripture that most people uh, saw the world uh, is now currently out of vogue. It isn't the thing. And so what we're seeing over the past decades is a result when feelings and not facts become a moral compass. And when that happens, then what happens is what you believe is more important than truth to you. And whenever what you believe is more important than truth, when I mean more important, we know it doesn't weigh more, but in your a place of making decisions, you're going to give more weight to how you're feeling and what you previously believed in truth. Then at that point, uh, it isn't just someone following a trending uh, tweet. It, it is actually a person moving towards error. And so uh, what happens is those feelings become this filter, I think, Krista, where facts are convenient to support our beliefs. And at that point, you don't have regard for truth. Rational discussion becomes impossible because you're going to keep trying to go back to the way you see it based on your feelings. And so that's why I really believe until you allow the truth to, to in a sense, override your feelings, you can never fully embody the fullness of what God's got for you. Mm, that's so good. You know, I love that. You're, you're talking about filters that we use to distort gospel and tweak the kingdom, right? And I, I think about something that, my goodness, this was such a lesson I learned in my life. And for anyone that knows my story, like I went to a public high school, but every single summer I'd go to the summer camp and get rocked by Jesus. And like, it would really sustain me for the entire year. And I wasn't surrounded by a lot of Christians and I wasn't surrounded by people that were like going hard for God. And it felt, I felt very alone in my faith and my convictions. And I was like, so excited to go to a Christian university and I got accepted and God made a way financially for me to go and gave me a scholarship and all this stuff. And I remember having the realization as my freshman year roommate was, you know, outside our door drunk. And I had to like drag her into our room. And it was like repeat of high school. And there was all these people that were just living in compromise, going to a Christian university, but they were partying at UW, which was like 10 minutes away. And it has one of the biggest Greek system at the University of Washington. And I remember being like so disappointed because it was like repeat of high school. And I just wanted to be around Christians and people that were on fire for God. And I remember the Lord saying to me, this Krista is when you learn that the people around you cannot be a barometer for your spiritual zeal for me, for your pursuit of me, your passion for me. And that is a lens and a filter that I see many people wear in their life is they allow the people around them to dictate their depth, their passion, and their pursuit of Jesus. Mm. And it will be one of the greatest distortions of your faith if you allow the people around you to dictate your walk with Jesus. You can look around and go, well, they're doing it. So it's okay if I do. You can't allow someone else's convictions to be your gauge for your convictions. They haven't carried your call, your mantle, or your anointing. They don't know what the Lord is asking of you. I learned when I was 19 years old, that lesson, it was a hard lesson to learn. It was, I'll be honest, it was a bit, you know, disappointing, but it was necessary because it made me realize regardless of the environment around me, I had a choice to choose the depth of my walk with God. And it was dependent on me and only me, meaning I was the only one that could spend time with Jesus for me. I was the only one that could read the Bible for me. I was the only person that could pray and connect with Jesus for me. No one can do that for you. Only you can. So you choose your depth with God. And so I think if we live with the filter that we allow people to show us what the gospel is rather than spend time with Jesus and discover the gospel for ourselves, or we allow people to be God's voice.
voice in our life rather than us discovering God's voice in our lives for ourselves. That will quickly be a lens of distortion that we live by. That is profound. And it's so true. That is the struggle of this current generation. I'm not talking about an age group. I'm talking about people populating the earth. And I'm just reminded again of the verse, Matthew 7, 5, Jesus gives the command. It's not something that he threw out that it could be a possibly a good idea should this scenario present itself. This is a command. Jesus said, it's in the red, first remove the plank from your own eye, then you can deal with the speck in someone else. And I think we're in a place where that scripture has to be applied in our life. I think so many people are pointing out specks in other people's eyes. We're, we, we can see that on social media. We could see that in everyday conversation. We could see that on podcasts. We could see that in news. We could see that in articles and blogs. People are trying to find that speck in someone else's eye. People are trying to find what's wrong. It's it's everywhere. But Jesus said, first take the plank out of your eye, your own eye. And so what he's saying is, is that there are filters that are not your friend. You have to deal with them. And so again, I just think this conversation is so important to deal with these things. And, and you know, and I think another category, Krista, of filters are the filters that the enemy uses to keep us from God yeah. is sharing our faith. And I yeah. think one of the, the biggest filters the enemy uses in, you've got to see this is a plank that's trying to be put in your eye right now, is that God is angry, God is intolerant, that the gospel is not affirming or inclusive. And so you've got to shift it or change it or make it different to make it inclusive. First of all, let's address that. Like the gospel is inclusive. You can come to the cross as you are. Like it doesn't matter what background, why were we at sinners? Christ died for us, the Bible says. But the Bible also says, you know, and Peter talks about this in, in the book of Acts, repent that your sins may be blotted out. That the gospel is inclusive in a sense that you can come to the cross, but you deny the cross its power if you don't allow the cross to change you. And that's what Jesus comes. He comes to bring transformation. So there's a filter out that because God is angry and tolerant, I'm going to stay away from God or that the church isn't affirming or inclusive. So I'm not going to go to church. I'm going to do my own thing. And let's just be honest. The truth is going to be uncomfortable to hear. And many people in our world are avoiding speaking the truth or anything resembling to the truth because they're afraid people are going to attack them. But we just got to get back to the point. Number one, God isn't angry, but he is holy, right? The gospel is affirming and it is inclusive, but the gospel won't leave you the way it found you. You truly embrace the cross. And I think this filter, if you don't deal with it, is going to keep you from sharing your faith. You got to understand the gospel is the most liberating dynamic on the planet, that the blood of Jesus can transform you, that literally whatever it is in the area of setback pain, because I think of these filters, Krista, that we put on God, our desires are a filter, our agenda is a filter, and even our traumas. We've had traumas in our life, bad experience, hurt by this church, hurt by this Christian, but you got to understand the enemy is using that to put a big old plank in your eye so you're looking at the speck of the church, but not realizing the enemy put a plank in your eye, get rid of that filter. Mm, oh my goodness, that is so well said. You know, I think another filter the enemy uses to really keep us away from God and even sharing our faith is when the enemy really goes after our identity in Christ. Good. Right? And I think that there's so many times that lie of we're not good enough or we messed up or, you know, there's parts of our story that, you know, are riddled with shame and we stay in that place of shame or we stay in that place of just, you know, not feeling worthy to be able to share the gospel or we can't see it from that vantage point that how could God possibly use my story? Because all it is, is it feels like a lot of regret. It 
feels like a lot of pain. It feels like a lot of shame. And I just want to, I want to break that off of you. And I just, I want to break that lens off people because there's nothing more uh, to me. One of the greatest lies that sabotages who people are in Christ is when they don't believe they're worthy to have a plan or a purpose of God over their life, or when they don't believe their story can be used by the Lord. Yes. God uses every one of our stories and every one of our stories. And Sean and I have parts in our story we don't love, right? There's parts in our story that, man, man I wish I would have done that different. And yet God will use it, redeem it and restore it, right? Because none of us have walked a perfect walk, but God is just looking for people that say, Jesus, I just love you and are, are quick to repent and just ask for forgiveness when we do mess up and you will mess up. We're not always going to nail it. We're not always going to do it perfect. And so we, we're not living from a place of striving. We're living from a place of doing our best to follow God and and walk closely and rightly with him. But in our imperfections and in our at times shortcomings, God and his kindness will always give us an on-ramp. It's called repentance. It's called grace and it's called mercy uh, to come back into that space where we understand who we are in the Lord, which is based off of what he did on the cross for us. And when you really understand the grace and the mercy and the kindness of the Lord, that's what breaks the shame. That's what breaks that lens of defeat. That's what breaks the lens of discouragement where you just feel like I can't ever be good enough or how could God possibly use me? When you understand the grace and the kindness and the mercy of God, that's when you can hold a microphone with confidence and be like, because of who God is, look what he did in my life, right? Because of what he did on the cross, the power of the blood is the only reason I'm standing up here today. It's the only reason I'm able to be here, you know, sharing my testimony. Many of you will find yourself at times making that statement because you've had a revelation and that vant that lens that the enemies wanted to hold you hostage in is a lens that points towards you and makes you focus on all your shortcomings. But when you get a lens that focuses on Jesus and you take it off of yourself and we put our 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 blood stained soiled clothes, so to speak, on the feet of Jesus and we say, Jesus, can you wash this clean? He's like, absolutely. You know, and that's where that Lord and Savior process begins to happen. That's when we give our lives to Jesus. That's when that re restoration happens. And it even happens again and again throughout our lives. Like it's, it's not a, like a one-time thing of us being washed clean. Like I believe we have to understand like there is the washing of who we are in the Lord that happens repeatedly in our walk with Jesus. So I just, I don't know when we, when you were talking about that and just you asking me that baby, that's kind of what I thought. I just thought, I think the enemy wants to hold us hostage to a lens that distorts our identity. I think that's so true. You know, obviously many people are familiar with the passage. It says in Proverbs 23, verse seven, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I think some of the false lens and, and there can be some people listening. You know, they've said, I read this article a while back. They said that uh, young ladies typically, but there could be young guys as well and, and older guys or gals, but they can suffer from anorexia, nervosa or bulimia, and they can be super thin, but they see a shadow around them where they see this overweight person. And so I wonder that shadow appears in so many ways in people's lives where they feel they're not good enough mm -hmm. or because of past circumstances, their shame so or my life isn't even worth living because of what has happened to me. I might as well end my life. Nobody would would miss me or all of a sudden I've come under such of a, of a disappointment and this shadow takes place in so many. So it's not just making the thin girl, thin guy think they're overweight. That shadow the enemy projects is a filter that can, whatever the category, the enemy's trying to say you are in a unsolvable, uh, unredeemable, no way that you can ever come back from this. But I think the good news of the gospel is Jesus said in Matthew 7, 
I first remove the plank. In other words, Jesus empowers us to remove this plank. That he gives you the authority to order that shadow back off of your existence. So when you look in the mirror, you you see what God has done inside of you. When you think of yourself, you're thinking, you know, according obviously that Proverbs uh, 23, 7, when you think of yourself, you think of yourself, as you said earlier, what did God have in mind? If he, uh, before he formed me in my mother's womb, says in Jeremiah, he knew me. What did God have in mind, as you were saying, before he formed us? Whatever he had in mind, that's what I want to have in my mind. And that happens when we remove the plank. And I believe, honestly, the best way to remove the plank is the Bible. You know, the Bible talks about whatever's true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is just, any lovely, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. But it begins by saying whatever is true, whatever is honorable. So it gets back to this. How do I get the plank out of my eye? We've got to get back to truth. Mm, I love that. You know, years ago, I preached one of my very first sermons when I started to preach you, and that was out of Philippians 4. That's this portion of scripture you just Philippians read. Philippians 4.8, yep. Yep. And the Lord gave me an acronym. It's not spelled correctly, but it's something I've always remembered because the Lord just gave it to me. And the Lord says, every time, anytime you want to trample the enemy, trample him with T, uh, whatever is true, mm. whatever is righteous, whatever is admirable, whatever is a noble, whatever is pure, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is lovely, whatever is excellence. It spells trample, but it's not spelled correctly, but T-R-A-N-P-P-L-E, trample. So the Lord says you trample the enemy by meditating on these things. And so really that is what clears your lens. That's actually what renews your mind. It keeps your heart clean. It keeps your spirit aligned with the Lord. You want to trample the enemy. You want a clear lens. You want a clear vantage point. You want to uh, make things not distorted. That's how you trample the enemy. And uh, that portion of scripture, I love that you brought that up. It reminded me of that acronym right away and how many times the Lord goes, Chris, to trample it. And I'll just start focusing on what is true, what is righteous, what is, you know, admirable and pray and praiseworthy and lovely and excellent, you know, and just, it's just that practice and that discipline. At The older I get, the more important I realize of the discipline of my mind and the power of the renewing of my, of my mind is actually in direct connection to the lens that I'm looking through, that I'm meditating through on who God is, who I am in God, who God is through me is so essential to my mind being disciplined on God. That is so profound and so powerful. Keep 100 Tribe, we believe that as you've listened to this, that there's been some things that will challenge your thinking that will help you and support and undergird you and your walk with Christ. And understand, uh, we talked about when filters are not your friends, but obviously the bottom line becomes you have to filter out the bad from the good. And that happens by recognizing God has a perspective. There's a biblical worldview. We need to embrace it and watch God do great things. Keep 100 Tribe, you do not want to miss next episode as we will continually talk about a relevant subject and carry on discussions that we believe will continually lay, help lay a foundation for your faith. Thanks so much for tuning into the Keep It 100 podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and refer us to your friends. And be sure to click that subscribe button so that you're alerted as soon as new episodes drop. Help us get the word out. Share this link on your social media platforms and check us out at seanandkristasmith.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Sean and Krista Smith Ministries. We would love to hear from you on how this podcast has impacted you. So be sure to show us some love. And remember, relief may change your circumstance, but a revelation will change you. Thank you.
We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Keep It 100 podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram and seanandkristasmith.com where you can discover more resources. If this podcast has impacted you, please subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Keep it 100.